0: What's up, y'all? It's Zach with Living Corporate. Now, look, for those of y'all who are new here, the purpose of Living Corporate is to create a space that affirms black and brown experiences in the workplace, right? There are certain things that only we can really understand. And when I say we, I mean the collective non-white professional <laughs> in corporate America. Um, and when we look around, if you like Google being black and brown in corporate America, you may see like a post um, in Huffington Post or something that kind of communicates from a position of lack. But I don't know if we necessarily see a lot of content that empowers and affirms our identity and our experience. And that's really the whole purpose of Living Corporate. It's with that that I'm really excited to talk to y'all about the See It to Be It series. Amy C. Wanager, um, who has been a guest on the show, who's a writer for Living Corporate and who's also the author of Network Beyond Bias, um, she's actually partnered with Living Corporate to actually have an interviewing series where she actually sits down with black and brown professionals so that we can learn about what they actually do and see ourselves in these roles, right? So it's a variety of industries that she's she's talking to a lot of different types of folks. You're gonna be able to see what they do, and at the same time, you're gonna hopefully be able to envision yourself in that role. Hence the title, "See It to Be It." Okay. So check this out. The next thing you're gonna hear is this interview with Amy C. Waninger. Y'all hang tight. Catch y'all next time. Peace.
1: Hi Lisa, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Hello Amy, thank you for having me. I am so excited to talk to you today. Our paths have crossed a couple of different times through SHRM groups and uh, writing uh, retreats and things like that. And you and I travel in a lot of the same circles, but we haven't had a lot of um, one-on-one conversations. We sure haven't. We've been moving quickly, haven't we, and (laughs) haven't had a good sit down. We have. and so. I am so excited to introduce you to the audience today because you have worked um, in your career as an HR professional, and I know that you have a, a particular niche within HR that you focused on, and I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that and how you got into this work.
2: Yes, yes, I will be happy to. Thank you so much for having me. This is a pleasure. And for me, the HR route, it started off very broadly from a generalist standpoint, And it was just a situation of I could not make up my mind. And I loved everything that HR brought, every area, learning and development, labor relations and employee relations, you know, compensation and benefit, all those kinds of things. And I felt that, you know, I'm in a a space where I can employ different aspects of my skills and interests. And then at some point, if I want to specialize, I can. And and it worked out wonderfully. for, For once, I had a nice blueprint that followed me throughout my career, and it worked out, and this was one of them. I, I hone now and specific, specifically working on uh, training and development because that's my, that's my true comfort space. And I focus on uh, helping managers, helping them deal with employee relations issues confidently and dealing with employee complaints and litigation uh, competently. Uh, but the, the journey has been a broad one and I still do use my broader HR knowledge a lot still. So when you think about as an HR generalist, You know, I
1: think a lot of people, if they haven't worked in corporate for a while, or even if they have, but they've not leveraged their HR partners a lot, they may not understand what all of that entails. Can you tell us a little bit about what are some of the responsibilities of an HR generalist, kind of in broad terms?
2: Yes. So, in broad terms, of course, it's all about it, all touches people, but in, in very different aspects and so from a managerial standpoint the hr person i you see a lot of the title of hr business partner i would agree it is just that it is partnering with the leaders and managers in the organization to help them accomplish their responsibilities as it relates to people they've got many hats to wear they've got a lot of things going on they also have to meet the goals and needs of the organization by the way and we know that people management is not something that comes easily to everyone. And even to those that it comes easily to, a lot of times with mini hats being worn because they tend to be quite popular, there may be a need for assistance. And so the HR person, the generalist, is someone who can assist them in every facet of their people relations. So when they need to hire people, when they need to motivate people and train people, uh, hold people accountable, all of those kinds of things, that's where the HR function can help be of great assistance in in that capacity.
1: Thank you for that. I appreciate the overview. And then within that, you've focused a lot on um, employee relations concerns, specifically around complaints or investigations. Is that correct? That's correct. And so how did you end up specializing in that field?
2: I don't know what it says about me, Amy, but I enjoy compliance and complaints and litigation. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, you know, I'm that person um, who, who enjoys investigation and the like. And so that's part of it. I also like the fact that you know, in my role with managers, I have a heart of uh, a feeling of, I want to help managers because I recognize that they have heavy jobs, big jobs. And when issues arise, they may get pulled into complaints and the like. A lot of times it's not due to any type of malicious or corrupt or anything like that. It's due to other things. Well, I didn't dot my I's across my T's. I didn't realize how consistency was important. I didn't recognize the law was this or that or the other and so for me it truly was in addition to the fact that i enjoy it i do but a need to help good people who are trying to help others by being good managers and leaders and so helping them to try to avoid those things if at all possible but then of course when these things kind of happen helping to work through the investigatory process to help to get a finish that will be helpful to the company, you know, in terms of making sure that there isn't a lot of exposure. So that's really where it comes from. It
1: sounds like in that role, you need to be very analytical, but also
2: very people focused. Is that accurate? I would agree, Amy. You, you have to be analytical. It is a, a serious process when you're talking about compliance and workplace investigation. And, and for me, myself, I don't have a legal degree. Mm -hmm. And so with that comes an additional responsibility that uh, I may need to make sure that I'm not giving inappropriate guidance that could then create some legal issues. So to be analytical, to be thorough, to have good process is key to it. But the people aspect of it is absolutely critical. A lot of times, whether a litigation situation, whether that continues or blows up or what have you, has its basis in how you treat people along the way. How are people engaged? How do they feel that they've been handled during the process? Do they come away like they feel like they've been heard? Those kinds of things. So the people balance of it is absolutely critical.
1: And I would think that that's a pretty unique skill set or combination of skills to have the people focus and and that analytical detail-oriented component. Typically, when we think about people, or at least um, when I think about people in terms of kind of broad categories, I think about the analytical folks who are, you know, kind of off doing their own thing. You know, typically more introverted, and then the people people that are out there just doing right and you know rubbing elbows and and being a part of that. And so the reason I bring that up is I've talked to a lot of folks who have that combination and they work in you know, they work in different fields. They'll be drawn very much to the analytical piece first and then realize, oh my gosh, I need human interaction. I've got to back up from this field or, or broaden, you know, my scope of who I think I am. Or they think, wow, I'm really, you know, really all about people and I want to deal with people, but then there's this itch that isn't scratched because they don't have that detail analysis piece. And so they kind of find this middle ground where they're straddling both worlds. Yeah. And so I like to share that because I think there are a lot of people out there who think it's one or the other. And there are certainly jobs in corporate America that will make
2: use of both of those skills. It's true. It's true. I know when I entered the, the field, I was thinking people, you know, I'm thinking I'm a people person. This, this will be good. But along the way, very quickly, to your point, I learned that, OK, there is a need for analytics, there's a need for process uh, standard procedures all of those kinds of things and and so fortunately that was something that was I found was a comfort level for me as well but it didn't start off that way you're right that's interesting
1: and so what else has surprised you about about the HR function or some of the industries that you've worked in that you did not expect coming in
2: hmm so a, a couple of things so one thing that surprised me is that uh, manufacturing, which at the time was huge when I first started out, was uh, it was a plethora because Toyota had just broken broken ground in uh, Georgetown, Kentucky, and had a massive impact. So I thought, well, manufacturing is just going to be the thing uh, for the rest of my career, you know. And as we've seen, you know, things happen evolution wise. Um, that has not been the case. You see more of the rise of service and the like. So the need to be flexible coming out of that the need to be flexible to go beyond um, the, the borders that I have plant, planted for myself was is something that I would say was very surprising. But then also I would say, because I, I shouldn't have been surprised by this, but from the legal standpoint, because a lot of HR has its basis in law, of course, and what we do is has its basis in law, but you just don't think about how that is going to change and influence you in the coming years. And so to see the twists and turns, the introduction of FMLA, and the, uh, re- the refocus again on Me Too and, and Americans with disability, these things that have helped to mold a lot of the HR piece and how and how we deliver service to our, our companies and our, and our employees is another thing that's been very surprising, because you just don't know what's around the corner sometimes.
1: I think that's fascinating. One of the things that I tell people, especially if I'm on college campuses, um, you know, and when I'm talking about responding to change in your career, I will tell people, look, don't ever stop being a student. Because a lot of us, when we graduate college, we get out into the workforce, we, we focus on building our expertise. And I think there's this misperception that experts know everything. And what I try to remind people, especially people who have been in their jobs for a while, is no, experts know how to keep learning. Because you can know everything and then the law changes or the economy changes or the workforce changes. And so it's not about knowing and being steadfast in your knowledge. It's about being confident in your ability to continue to grow. Would you agree?
2: 100 percent. 100 percent agree. And uh, you nailed it. Uh, To feel comfortable or confident or complacent because you check the list on your, your degrees and your experience, which are by the way are great things, uh, to check the list on, but to stop and think, okay, I'm there and now I can I can just manage along. No, 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 no. I, I would say yes to everything that, that you have said. It is a changing world. My goodness, look how the workforce has changed. We did not have this whole global connection uh, a few decades ago. And oh my goodness, look at, I mean, what social media has brought and so to, be able to manage and manage effectively and competently with these changing dynamics you have to continue to network you have to continue to improve and grow and learn so i agree 100 percent.
1: so if someone is interested in getting into this field where would you suggest that they
2: start i would say from a starting point I have been uh, a member, for example, of the Society of Human Resource Management my entire career. I've I've moved a lot for job opportunities, but wherever I was, there was always a a chapter, and I was always a member of the National. What that did for me was it helped to make sure that I was around like people, and was discussing like issues. And for somebody who's trying to dip their toe in and, and start to get familiar with this whole arena, it's a wonderful way to do it without committing it, like you would for a degree or education and the like. That would be perhaps your next step, would be to uh, get some additional education whether it be courses, maybe a program, your certification, a degree, that kind of thing would be very helpful. In this day and age, you almost need something like that if you're entering the field. It, it would be a tremendous help to understand the, the basics, the fundamentals, the law, the histories, those kinds of things. But a a society, an organization like the Society of Human Resource Management, that would be my first step to determine that, is this something for me?
1: That's great advice. And I would imagine that you find a lot of community there as well.
2: A lot of community. They cover so much. And I think the one of the key things is they have their fingers on the poles of what's happening today. You literally have dialogue about things that are happening today. And so it's very current, but they never lose sight of what are the core values in regards to human resources. And so it's just well organized and you are surrounded by people at different levels. You're surrounded by generalists, you're surrounded by specialists, uh, people in different paths, and it's a great opportunity of like-minded individuals to come together.
1: That's wonderful.
2: I think, you know,
1: one of the things that I didn't know, and the audience is probably sick of me saying this, but one of the things that I didn't know as a young professional was that these associations were out there and that I should be involved in them. Nobody told me that, right? I didn't come from a family of, you know, white collar professionals, college graduates. And so nobody said, Hey, you need to go out there and get involved in associations and attend conferences and go to meetups and, you know, attend monthly meetings and, you know, get a pin and a certification and whatever the things are. And so many of the people that I've talked to in this series have said, start with the associations. That's a great place to network. It's a great place to learn without investing a ton of money. And so I'm going to repeat this for the young folks listening, you know, especially if you're early in your career and nobody's pulled you aside and said, hey, you need to go to a meeting of, you know, the association or the society of whatever your job is. Do that. Make that something that's a goal for this year so that you can start to build your network broader than your own work group, broader than your own company. Yes, indeed. Now, I want to pivot just a little bit, Lisa, because you, in addition to having this amazing history as an HR generalist and as a compliance specialist, you've taken a little bit of a different turn in your career and you're embarking on a new journey. I know that you recently were a co-author of a book called Imagination at Work, and I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what the anthology is, what the book's about, and your decision to be a part of that project.
2: Oh, thank you for asking about that, Amy. I embarked on this fascinating journey. I left uh, the corporate world, and uh, one of my first moves, because I aligned myself with some wonderful individuals who gave me good guidance, as a result of networking and professional organizations like SHRM and the National Speakers Association, was to engage in a project of writing a chapter for an anthology. And lo and behold, it was just a wonderful experience. I have to admit I was reluctant at first. It was my first writing endeavor, and I thought, do I really have that in me? But when you connect, with, once again, with like-minded people who have a common goal, energy came, and we uh, really knocked it out of the park. We uh, created a book called Imagination at Work. This is Imagination at Work. And uh, there's five authors, including myself, and we each focus on expertises that we have, that we dialogue about. And so in this book, you hear everything from welcoming the multi-generational workforce, finding your story, the importance of mentorships, the importance of exit interviewing and stay uh, interviewing in the whole nine yards. And we have a wonderful forward by uh, Jeff Nally. And so for me, what this did was, it helped people to see who Lisa Johnson is about and what type of service she's bringing to the table. So it's my calling card. But to be able to offer the book with all of its different elements and people uh, light up uh, when they see it, it's just been a tremendous asset. And and it was a great move. It just goes to show you to be open-minded, to be open to what comes to you because I can tell you from the beginning, uh, I was not, and it wasn't until Kathy Fayog, uh spoke with me, and and we agreed to this, and I have not regretted a moment since.
1: That is wonderful, and there is something so magical about googling your name and seeing the first listing with the word author. It really is. It's like you feel so official in that moment. Like it really, oh, I'm an if Google says I'm an author, damn it, I'm an author, <laughs> right? <laughs>
2: The Google doesn't lie. <laughs> it's so validating. I mean, and it's such a wonderful thing to be able to give people, you know, just very, you know, very quickly. Is, is there oh, so much about you? Look, what you know here. Here I am. You know, it's just a wonderful thing.
1: And you also launched your own company around the same time, right? So you have I HR do. know-how. So tell us about that. What are the services you provide, and and who do you work with?
2: Yeah. So the the book was the the entree into. That, that company, HR Know How, and my focus is training and development for, for managers. Once again, that's where my for my career, that's where my heart has been, and I wanted to, to focus on that because I know that's where I get my energy from helping others in this crazy world that we live in as they navigate and twist and turn. So a lot of training and development on leadership skills. There are a lot of studies and research search that shows that many managers that are in roles today uh, just like you explained before, have a lot of analytical skills and the like, not so much the people skills. And that can, that can be tough. And so helping the development of, of leadership skills, that's what I have enthusiasm for. So that's the big piece of, of what I do. And I like to engage in public speaking opportunities. I do keynotes, et cetera, that help to support the, the purpose of what I do. And also to educate is another way to educate as well. So that is what HR know-how is about. And on the, on the side, I do just your basic generalist HR consulting work because I want to stay relevant. I want to keep my skills honed. And that's something that helps me do that.
1: And so who are your target clients for HR know-how? Are you working primarily with the manufacturing industry still? Or have you branched out into other industry verticals?
2: So it's been vertical and it's largely been, um, for larger companies, it's been companies with human resource functions that are maybe feeling a bit overwhelmed and haven't, you know, we need to get that training done. We need to get that handbook updated, you know, those kinds of things. And then for smaller companies that just do not have an HR presence and are needing a little bit of guidance, but that's really where I find a lot of the consulting aspect of things.
1: That's fantastic. And I think it's so important too, for, for entrepreneurs and small business owners and even people maybe who are working in an environment where, you know, you're, you're maybe on a small team or you're working in a small company and you think, wow, we've got a real opportunity here. Um, if only we had someone in HR, right? I, I see these stories all the time of things that kind of go awry in small companies because people get a little too comfortable maybe, um, you know, with their teammates or their employees and say things they shouldn't do things they shouldn't make assumptions that are are detrimental right to the to the organization or to the people around them. And a lot of folks say, "Well, you know, there's no one to go to. We don't have an HR department. We're too small a company." And so, what I'd like to just put out into the universe is there are people who can help with this. Even if you're a small company, there are people who people like Lisa who specialize in helping companies you know get some basics in place so that there are policies and procedures that are there to not only protect employees from bad manager behavior but protect company owners and shareholders and stakeholders and clients from you know bad behavior or from oversight or omissions that can lead to some real risk in the company's longevity and you know in the the company's ability to operate effectively and so you know if you're sitting there saying oh my gosh we just we just don't have the resources to bring in someone as a full-time hr resource you know my advice would be you know call lisa and <laughs> and see you know what would it take to put her on a retainer or what would it take to just build a project you know one or two projects at a time a little bit at a time until you have these things in place. Because at the end of the day, if you're not protecting the people in your company, if you're not creating an environment where people want to come to work, you're not going to have a company for very long.
2: That's very true, Amy. I'm going to have to um, borrow that overview. That was, that was well said. Well said. (laughs) Well, thank you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And you know, it's, but it is important. And you know, we want everybody to feel welcome and feel included and valued. Um, in our workplaces. But sometimes we get so busy or we get so focused on the work that we forget that our culture is even more important than the work we're doing.
2: Very true. I agree 100%. And it's one of those things that it's hard to, once you go down a path um, where you've allowed things to, to kind of slide away from your original intent, it's hard to get back. It's struggle to get back. And so it's, it's best to try to maintain that along the way.
1: Well, you know, it's like a car,
2: right? If you
1: don't maintain your car, all of a sudden you've got a project, right? <laughs> because now you've got a plan for new tires and an oil change and maybe a new engine. And, you know, there are lots and lots of things that can go wrong if you don't keep up on that maintenance.
2: That's right. That preventive maintenance is is golden.
1: And so what I'm hearing is whether whether your company needs preventive maintenance or whether you've got a project because you've let things go, there is help and there is hope. Is that correct? There is help and there is hope. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, with that, I would like to ask you just a couple of questions that I try to always wrap up with when I can remember. And I have my notes in front of me. Okay. And the first one is, can you finish the sentence? I feel included when?
2: Yes. I feel included when I am heard, when people listen with, everything of uh, the nonverbal the the body language, the eye contact the whole nine yards uh, I feel included when when I'm able to have my voice heard okay. and with uh, with an enthusiasm and an engagement that you know it covers everything it's an engagement a true engagement I feel included.
1: And the second part of that is when I feel included I
2: when I feel included, I feel more of everything positive. I feel more engaged. I feel more uplifted. I feel more enthusiastic. I feel more contributory. I, I, all of those things. I feel more positive everything. And more belonging, of course. I love that.
1: And I think it's so important for us to remember each and every one of us has the power to make someone feel included at work, at home, in our community. And sometimes it's just as simple as, as listening and making eye contact Very cool. and, and responding. Lisa, thank you so much for your time and your expertise today. I have gained so much additional appreciation for the HR function in the companies that I've worked for. And not only that, but you know, you've, you've kind of gotten my mind working as I expand my own company, how I might bring in some expertise to help me do that. Thank you.
2: Thank you so much, Amy, for this opportunity. This has been an absolute pleasure. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion?